Join me up here. Good morning, guys. So we are getting close to the end of our series talking about, what have we been talking about all summer? Spiritual discipline. Thank you, Gloria. Spiritual discipline, discipline, which is the practices that we do at home and at church and when we're out and about in the world in order to stay connected with God and to keep the distractions out of our lives so that we can listen to the Holy Spirit, so that we can um, hear what, what God is trying to tell us during our days. And today, we're going to talk about one that might seem kind of obvious that we haven't talked about yet, and that is worship. So when you guys think of worship, what do you think of? Going to church. Going to church. Yeah. What do we do when we go to church and worship together? We sing. We sing. Stefan's about to <laughs> say something. Go ahead. We talk to God. We talk to God. We sing. We pray. Yeah, and there are some things that in our tradition, in the Presbyterian tradition, are considered really, really important when we come together for Sunday morning worship service. And those are confession, which we talked about last week, where we, we admit to God that we all mess up and we all need Jesus' forgiveness. Prayer, which we do a lot during our service, which is something that we're supposed to be doing at home as well and with our families outside of church. Um, the Word which is um, listening to God's word read from the Bible and um, getting teaching about God's word. So for the grown-ups, that happens after you guys leave during the sermon. For you all, that happens upstairs in Sunday school. You learn about scripture and God's word. And then the last piece is one that doesn't happen every week during church, but we always have reminders of it every week during church up front. Do you guys have a guess? what that might be, that only happens sometimes and might be happening today. Yes, communion, sacraments, which are communion and baptism. We have two sacraments in our tradition, communion and baptism. And even when we're not celebrating communion or a baptism, we have the communion table right up front in the middle of the sanctuary where everybody can see it. And on it we have um, the cup and uh, the plate and some of the things from communion so we remember them. And they're sitting there right next to the Bible, so we remember that God's word is central. And they're sitting there right next to the Christ candle, which is a prayerful reminder of Jesus being there and our need for Jesus. And we also um, usually have the, um, the water pitcher and the bowl for baptism up there as well. So we remember the sacraments even when we're not explicitly celebrating them during our church service. Now today is a very special Communion Sunday. Uh, this is called World Communion Sunday. The first Sunday of October every year is a Sunday where churches of all different denominations, so not just Presbyterians, not just Methodists, but uh, Presbyterians and, and Methodists and Episcopalians and what did you say? Catholic. Catholic. I think the Catholic Church celebrates World Communion Sunday as well. Yeah, churches all around the world and of all different denominations come forward. And it's um, a special time of remembering how important communion is for the whole church. And so, um, what can, can have you any of you guys ever been to another country? Grown-ups, have any of you ever been to another country? 
How long did it take you to get there? Almost 12 hours, Miss Dorothy said. Eight. Thirteen. Nine and a half. Ten days. That was not on an airplane, I hope. That was a long taxi if that was on an airplane. Ten days. Oh, my goodness. I think you win. Um, Mr. Tim, how long did it take you? Fourteen hours. It can take a long time to get to another country. Now, sometimes it can be like a few hours drive just to go up to like Niagara Falls, right? We can get to another country from here relatively quickly, but for the most part, it takes a long time to get to another country. We're very far apart geographically. And so this is something that brings us all together spiritually, that reminds us that we are all under the umbrella of Jesus Christ's grace. So what I want to do to get there today, kids is I want you to come join me up here by the communion table. And as we pray today, we're going we're gonna to join hands around the table. <laughs> we're going to join. There you go. Thank you. And if we don't have, if we can't, I think we've got long enough arms. We can do this, right? Okay. We're going to join hands and just make a circle around the table. Perfect. Or join sleeves. That works too. And we're going to pray for all of our brothers and sisters in the countries around the world. And then we will serenade you out of here with Jesus Loves Me as you go prepared to hear God's word. God of everyone, God of everywhere and everything, we thank you today for all of our brothers and sisters around the world, and we remember them today as we join together and celebrate communion with them from afar. We pray that you would help us to treat all people, no matter who they are and no matter where they're from, as your precious children. We lift up these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are... ...exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 52 through 58, and verse 63. You can find this on page 1658 of the Pew Bible. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you. 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I remember that when I was little, I was terrified of the cheek pinchers. You know the ones. They see a kid so cute, they just want to pinch them. But now I understand that urge Sometimes I want to hug my kids so tight their eyes pop because they are just so adorable. It is a weird reaction, and there has actually been a great deal of scientific study in recent days about how adult humans tend to react to cute things by feeling mild to moderate aggression. You see a puppy so cute you just want to pick it up and squeeze it tight, or there's a little kid you just want to pinch because they're so precious. People say things like, I could just eat you up. You're so cute. The idea of eating someone up has taken on an abstract or even cutesy meaning in our modern vocabulary. And in a way, we lose some of the profound meaning behind communion as a result. I can guarantee you that that is not how anyone meant this talk about eating someone in the Gospel of John. They were not saying that Jesus was so cute they could just eat him right up. There, this was anything but cutesy, anything but abstract and ignorable. For the people hearing these words, it wasn't just Jesus using a strange metaphor. It didn't come out of the blue this wasn't something they would have just responded to by saying, that's a weird way of saying that. At that time and at that place in the world, the notion of eating someone's flesh and drinking their blood was horrific. You wouldn't even have joked about it. The Aramaic tradition used the term eater of flesh to refer to the devil. Drinking blood even that of an animal, was strictly against Jewish law and sensibility. One of the reasons they were so cautious about how they prepared an animal to eat was because they wanted to make sure that there was no chance of accidentally taking in that animal's blood. There was no doubt about it that this was not your everyday metaphor, that Jesus was purposefully saying something extreme in this moment. Jesus is foreshadowing something horrific. Jesus is saying to the disciples, think about the most inhumane, 
horrible, against God's law, disgusting thing you could possibly do to a person. That's what you're going to do to me. That's how this is going to end. And that is the only way you can have true life. I would love to have seen the looks on those who were listening to Jesus that day. I'm picturing the room just growing silent and people looking at one another as if to ask, did he just say what I think he said? Has he completely lost his mind? And then Jesus goes on to say that there is something more than the life we know here. There is love that can overcome even the most horrific things that we can come up with. And he has come to bring that love once and for all. That is why we worship. We come together to celebrate the word and sacrament in order that Jesus might take the most terrible of things in our lives, our sin and our brokenness, and redeem us with his grace. There are terrible, terrible things in the world. Wars, violent crime, poverty, disease, broken and hurting families. But none of these things are greater than the God whom we worship. And that is what worship is. It is coming together to experience and celebrate and participate in God's great world-changing grace. It is coming together to declare that Jesus is Lord of all and grace reigns triumphant. In the Presbyterian Church, there are four things that are believed to be necessary in a worship service. Prayer, confession, the word, including both scripture reading and preaching, and the sacraments of baptism and communion. That's why many Presbyterian churches have a baptismal font up front in the sanctuary at all time. And some have one in the back, so people have to pass it to enter into the sanctuary. That's why even when we aren't actively celebrating communion or a baptism on any given Sunday morning, the table with the cup and the plate and the baptismal elements are always up front and center, right next to the Bible and to the Christ candle. But also, in our tradition, worship is defined as being so much more than what we do here for an hour or so once a week. True worship shows itself by spilling over into everything we do throughout the week. We participate here in praying, in confessing our sins, listening to God's word, celebrating communion, and then we leave, not ending our worship, but extending that worship into the world. Our worship service ends with a sending, not an ending. Our job as Christians is not to lure people in here to worship, but to take the worship out the doors with us to draw people in. In here, we worship through word and sacrament, prayer and confession. But when we leave the doors of the church building today, we worship by loving the people around us. We worship by feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless, welcoming the alien. It is through these daily activities of reflecting God's love and light in the world that Jesus' name is most powerfully proclaimed. Worship is not a Sunday morning activity. It is a lifestyle. 
It is a lifestyle of remembrance and generosity, of grace and of love. Worship is not the order in which we do things on Sunday morning, which hymns we sing in which order, which scriptures we read when, what time we meet. Those things can certainly lead to worship. They help us enter in to worship, but they are not in and of themselves worship. Anytime any of those things get in the way of open hearts, anytime they become an end in and of themselves, or they are simply hollow tradition and right, we have stopped worshiping. The purpose of our Sunday morning worship is not to fill some sort of worship quota for the week. An hour of worship together on Sunday morning does not get you off the hook for the rest of the week. Rather, this time together is meant to usher us into worship for the rest of the week. This time today is a time to recenter each of us so that our focus can be returned to God and not all the stressful, hard things that have come at us all week. It is to remind us that Jesus takes even the most horrific of things and redeems them with an act of grace. We cannot simply show up once a week to experience God's presence and expect that to usher us into worship. We must practice the presence of God every day. We cannot expect that doing the same thing all the time will usher us into a spirit of worship. No two people are moved toward worship in the same way, and everyone can benefit from a variety of worship experience, loud and quiet, alone and together, organized and spontaneous. That last one can be hard for us Presbyterians, I know. We cannot come unprepared for worship and expect God to do all the work for us. We can read the lectionary passages or the summer reading plan ahead of time to prepare our hearts and our minds. Listen to the hymns online before church or listen to worshipful music on the radio in the car or as you're preparing yourself in the morning. We cannot worship when we come with our own agenda. We must set that aside and allow God to do whatever it is that God has planned to do. We must come to the table knowing that nothing important will happen at all without God's intervention. Worship is not always easy. Sometimes there are distractions, little kids doing little kid stuff, but it's a sign of life and youth and energy in the congregation. Children will never learn how to worship fully unless we embrace their energy and the goofy things they say during children's sermons and the way that they cheer for the hymns and dance to the music. Instead of shushing them, we should try to be more like them in our own worship. Let our worshipful imaginations run away with us. Nobody can enter into in with abandon like a little kid can. If someone has a coughing fit, take it as a hint from God to pray for them. If sirens go off outside, pray for the community. If there's a noisy bird right outside an open window, thank God for creation. Distractions don't hurt worship when we take them as signs from God. And there will always be days when you don't want to come to church. There will be days when worship is the last thing you feel like doing. Maybe it's been a rough week and you're mad at God. 
Maybe you're just plain old tired and would prefer to sleep in. Maybe you've been struggling to feel connected to God lately. There's nothing wrong with not feeling like coming to church. That said, those are the moments in life where we are the most in need of the centering act of public worship, of hearing the word, of participating in the sacraments. Those are the times when we most need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, come together and worship anyway. When asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus recites the words of Deuteronomy that say to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And this requires an attitude of worship. If we are to truly make Jesus our Lord, we must make worship a priority in our lives. Both the act of coming together with other Christians to practice the disciplines of confession, prayer, sacrament, and word, and the act of expecting God to change us in those moments so that we might go forward living a life that looks like worship. Today, as we celebrate communion with our brothers and sisters around the world who are also celebrating this morning, we remember that Jesus takes the most horrific of things and turns it into an act of grace. The most terrible thing that the world could have done to Jesus was done to Jesus by the world, but we couldn't have real life any other way. Those difficult things that come into our lives may have impact in this world, but they have no power over real life. And that is why we worship. Amen. <laughs>